Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Anupam, the Chief Customer Officer at Cloudera, and we discuss the number one thing you should think about when going through an acquisition, the multiple dimensions necessary for predictive analytics, and why in trying times the best thing to do is invest in yourself and exercise optimism. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Hello. Hey, buddy. Hey, man. How are you? What's going on? Good. It's, I would be traveling right now in New York, but I'm in my backyard in a barely insulated shed. That's, that's, that's where I'm at. Dude, it's your man cave. That it, it, it was a man cave till now. It's just become a, an office. So it, it just, the stress oh, levels no. are different now. So we'll, we'll, yeah. for, for the next hour, we're going to kick it back up to man cave. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'll send you some posters. Yeah. There'll be a surprise when they arrive. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll just man cave it up. I'll send you some like an ashtray for cigars and like a like a That's scotch it. or a whiskey. <laughs> yeah. I have last dance playing in the background. I don't know whether any of you are watching this ESPN show uh, about Michael Jordan's uh, last championship. Oh, really? So it's a whole show, like a series or just a long episode? It's a series, uh, 10 episodes, and they've really uh, like lengthened it. They could have done it in three episodes, but uh, you know, uh, if, if you were ever a Jordan fan or a basketball fan, it's a very interesting thing to watch. Yeah, I like how you mentioned the differences because uh, I'm not like a fan of basketball. Like I don't follow it and I couldn't tell you about like the teams and the players. But I am a fan of Michael Jordan because uh, I've read his stories. I've watched countless things about him. I actually, I don't think I've ever heard an interview with him in it directly, like a long form interview. I've seen clips, but man, that guy's story uh, as far as like persistence and pushing yourself and overcoming. Yeah. yeah, Yeah, That's an admirable story. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. How are you doing? Good. This is it, by the way. This is the podcast. Uh, we just hang out, talk, talk about Jordan, talk about everything. I'm doing pretty good. Uh, this morning, I got to speak with uh, John Matone, who was, uh, he's like one of the most, like top three biggest leadership coaches in the world. Uh-huh. Yeah. And he uh, he used to be Steve Jobs' leadership coach. No. Yeah. And so I got like stories. I got all sorts of good, good leadership insight and advice from him. You just downgraded yourself from business class to like economy or something, talking to me. Are you kidding uh, me? No <laughs> way, dude. You're amazing. I'm actually really curious because I saw your title as chief customer officer and I was like, what? what is that? So uh, on a good day, it is the ability to talk to CIOs. Uh, CIOs are uh, people too. They have a lot of apprehensions, anxieties, ambitions, and whatnot, and you should be able to take technology and translate it for them. So that's a good day. On a bad day, you're just a human shield for your team. Something's not working, customer's really unhappy, and your team is just trying to debug it, trying to figure out what's wrong, but the customer needs somebody uh, to be on calls. Um, I've taken 4.30 a.m. calls, uh, 
especially during the as the pandemic was uh, you know picking up a lot of the banks started monitoring uh, for risk in the market and that put a lot of pressure on systems and which means i had to answer 4:30 am calls from customers saying things are not working is your team looking at this etc so a good day cio whisperer a bad day a human shield that's how i describe the chief customer officer i like it yeah let's hope for more good days than bad days mm-hmm. now, obviously the the pandemic put a stress on a lot of systems but can you give me a quick overview of like the type of service cloudera provides yeah so i like to tell people if you made a phone call if you swiped a credit card if you bought something online since the morning you already used cloudera Okay. So uh, a lot of telecommunication providers across the world, whether it is Philippines, India, UK, or America, are managing their networks through analytic uh, dashboards uh, built on Cloudera. So you call in to your internet service provider and say, hey, my internet's running slow. The first thing they do is check whether your zip code has any internet problems that dashboard is highly uh, likely working on a big data system. Or if you see a suspicious transaction on your credit card, and again, you call your bank or your credit card provider, they pull up a dashboard of, hey, you know, what are Joel's last three transactions? Do they match his pattern? Are they in a country that you're already in? All of that, most likely that data was prepared by a Cloudera system. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's all invisible technology. So it's not as if you're talking to Cloudera at all. Uh, my mom keeps asking, you know, why don't you build something like WhatsApp? And I say, but all the <laughs> WhatsApp analytics run on top of Hadoop. And I lose her attention completely the moment I mention one of these technologies. Come on, your mom doesn't know about Hadoop? <laughs> exactly, that's my problem. <laughs> Oh man, that's fun. Now, were you one of the founders of this company? I saw you've had some entrepreneurial background. Uh, yeah, so I, I founded two companies in the big data space. Wasn't a founder of Cloudera. The founders of Cloudera bought my company in 2015, so five years ago. Um, and uh, uh, as the story goes, most entrepreneurs want to leave within a couple of years. But somehow at Cloudera, there's a bunch of us who have all been founders of their own companies, but have come in through acquisitions and have stayed back, some for four years, some for five years. So I'm one of those. That's pretty cool. I could like to imagine yeah, I'm a founder of a company and we've you know grown. And to imagine like what it would be like, like if I were to you know sell this venture, uh, and then go work with a group of other people who've gone through the yeah. you know staring into the abyss and eating glass that is founding your own company, it just must be an unbelievable energy just working with high performing people. Is that what it's like? So one is gratitude, right? Because when you're an entrepreneur, you feel very uh, alone. Uh, you feel that the burden uh, of every decision on your, is on your shoulders. Uh, versus when you have a bunch of people who have eat, you know, walked on sh- shredded glass or eaten shredded glass, 
they are able to take some of those burdens. They can take the 4.30 a.m. call, or if you call them at 5 a.m. in the morning, they don't completely melt down. So I have a lot of founder colleagues who, who have seen tough times, and even a proper today's times, it's very good to have them on your team. You know, you can uh, sort of pass the ball and get a breather, get a timeout. Uh, so that's the beauty of working with entrepreneurs. So can you tell me a little bit about what the rise of the enterprise intelligence platform is? So the enterprise intelligence platform is, the way I like to explain these days is, in the context of today's times, everybody has become data scientists. You know, people are looking at dashboards. I look at Santa Clara County dashboards, for example, right? Nobody understands what bending the curve is, but everybody's talking about bending the curve. What's happening is most of us are starting to look at data differently. Most of us want to be more intelligent in our decisions, whether it is buying stocks, whether it's buying cars. You'll never go to a car dealership without uh, looking up the, you know, the last few sales in the area, how much they were. So pull that back. Every enterprise, every bank, every telecommunication company, healthcare company needs to provide you that. For example, you wouldn't go to your healthcare company if they didn't have an app and if they didn't show the results of your last few tests on the app. You'd regard that as primitive. But we forget that even 10 years ago, you wouldn't be able to do that. That's intelligence, right? Intelligence is a bank telling you about a transaction that's suspicious in real time. Behind that, there's a lot of analysis of data. So imagine there's trillions of credit card swipes that are going on. How did they find that this particular transaction needs Joel's attention? That's intelligence. So uh, that's what enterprise, every bank, every telecommunication, every healthcare, every government, every grocery shop for all you will, needs all that intelligence because customers are demanding it that makes sense yeah it sounds like you've got a lot of fun like you have a very fun job getting to build these types of products like when you get to interface with yeah. the cios and yeah yep 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, and see it having effect but with an invisible hand uh, right so that uh, if you're an infrastructure software guy like i am um, knowing that when you pick up your phone or when you when you interact with your pharmacy, a lot of it is being powered by our systems is is a lot of fun. And by the way, I started in this Hadoop big data space when it was 14 or 15 people meeting in a small room talking about an open source project. The fact that it is not billions of dollars of revenue, et cetera, none of us thought that it's going to happen. It was more of a passion project for a lot of us. Oh, so you were part of one of the, like the original Hadoop teams? Uh, I was one of the original uh, groupies of the Hadoop teams. That's how I like to yeah. think about it, right? I like there it. were much sm smarter people than me, Doug Cutting, Arun Murthy, who were articulating the future. And I was, you know, I, I was the groupie saying, yeah, that sounds really interesting. How can I help? Uh, and that's still my role, uh, helping customers understand this complicated technology. But that 
to see that from 14, 15 people to where it's at is still surreal for me every day. Yeah, it's like a household name in data science. Yeah, it's just weird, honestly, you know. And and that groupy aspect of or being a supporter of something early is critical to the success of it as well. I mean, it's very important to have people pushing that forward. Uh, it helps with the energy of the core team, right? And it's just it's a very valid uh, part. Now, I I I want to get a little nerdy with you because I've gotten some questions from people, and um, but the question I'm getting a lot is, you know. Joel, we're getting into data science, hire some data science people, we're looking at these metrics. But the the broad spectrum question from all the different conversations is people are asking me, like, how much data is enough data to like make a decision on? How much data is enough data? Couple of points of view on that. Number one is when you're prototyping, you don't need a lot of data. And I'm going to get uber geeky on you. I'll double down on the geek, right? You need a lot of metadata, right? Is Joel a name or is it a product, right? Michael Jordan is a name. Air Jordan is a shoe. These are two very different things. So just dumping data and, and being happy that it is a lot of data doesn't make any sense unless you have metadata. So that's the first big thing uh, that people miss, right? So let's, can I bring it down with an example, like a closer yeah. example? Like yeah. Something we're all familiar with, uh, email subject lines, right? Yeah. So let's yeah. say I'm sending emails and I'm testing two different subject lines. How many emails do I need to send before I can tell which one, like if I'm gonna run a test, how do I know how many emails I need to send before I find a winner? Yeah, so for that, the biggest thing that you need is the other parts of, of uh, uh, we call it dimensionality of data. Who are you sending it to is important. When are you sending it? How big is it, right? Did they open it on the phone or did they open it on an email client, right? And did you add pictures or not? So already you've added five dimensions to the data. A lot of times people think data science is about looking at the subject line and trying to find Joel's tone and whether it worked or not, right? That's, that's picking up just one line and trying to be this amazing uh, geeky natural language parsing is very fashionable right now, right? And try to figure out whether Joel's tone works or not. No, it's all the other context around the data. When, how, who opened it, you know, where did they open it? Did they open it on a job or did they open it, you know, while they were watching TV or were they, were they at work? There's so much context that you can add to the data. So adding more context is as important as just sheer like raw computing power with a lot of data. That makes sense? Yeah, it does, 100%. And then in my search for trying to figure out how much data is enough data. I did come across this one concept um, about statistically valid sample sizes, but by no means am I an expert. Have you come across this? Yeah, statistically valid sample sizes. I mean, you know, it depends on what you're trying to do with the data. If you're just counting, and counting is very unglamorous, by the way. Uh, a lot of data scientists think that they have to predict 
there's a fine line between counting and prediction. If you are trying to predict, then you're going to have a very different uh, point of view. You're going to use neural networks. You're going to use machine learning. But if you're just counting, then you need to be fast and you need to count a lot uh, of, of, of different uh, things. I mean, does that make sense? So counting doesn't really like sampling that much. Whereas predicting likes to sample a lot of Joel's and, 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 and Katie and Jake and Anupam uh, to get to predicting Joel's behavior using other people's behavior. That's an interesting line. I did not have that differentiation in my mind, counting data versus prediction of data. Yeah. What, what do yeah. you do mostly at Cloudera? Is it mostly prediction? So I personally came up through the counting side of things, which oh. is I have hundreds of terabytes and I can look at everything that Joel did on the internet and I can count, okay? My smarter colleagues uh, who went to school later than me, uh, 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 actually are from the field of what is now called data science and a, a bad way to say it is artificial intelligence, right? So a lot of our systems are now pivoting towards artificial intelligence and machine learning. So while Claudera's original business mostly is still counting a large, large, large amount of data, the growth we are seeing is in things like machine learning. So that's the the big area that's growing right now, machine learning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so so imagine, uh, for example, you know, an airline has to maintain kiosks, right? And every time you send somebody over to fix a kiosk, it's going to take effort. But what if the kiosk could tell you that I'm about to fail in the next twelve hours? You would be able to send somebody over. So that's that's a prediction example where a kiosk is telling you that they're going to fail. But the best story I have on this, uh, so Philippines is actually a, a country with thousands of islands, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. But it's also one of the most advanced tele telecommunications countries in the world. So everybody has a cell phone. Oh, because of the so landlines. Now, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How are yeah. you going to put landlines? Uh, got it. Thank you. Thank you. Right. So you don't have landlines. So you're putting towers in small islands. Anytime a tower fails and I have to send Joel over to fix it, it takes $50,000 because Joel is going to take a helicopter. Nice. Or a boat. A, a nice right? helicopter or a yacht. A nice I'll take helicopter. a yacht. So yeah. you'll take a yacht. So that's $75,000 now. Whereas <laughs> if the tower could predict, that I'm about to fail, right? Then I would make sure that Joel goes to the island, but goes at a preset time. You're gonna send me on coach. You're gonna yes. send me on coach early. Oh no. <laughs> so no helicopter, no yacht. I'm gonna send you, right, on, on a on an economy minus ticket and see if I can get- if, I'm if in the I cargo get, hold. <laughs> yes, exactly. So that's that, that's a live example. This, uh, this system is, is saving hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? In Philippines right now, the customer uh, is Globe Telecom and they predict that this cell phone tower is about to fail. It's pretty amazing actually. And then obviously there's like some code that like what components going to fail 
it gives mm-hmm. them some diagnostic. You know, here's a question. How do you guys, uh, I'm going to guess at how you do it and you tell me how far off I am. Do you mm. take past data from a bunch of failed towers and create a machine learning model around that so it learns how the, these towers are failing off of this data and then apply that model or do you do it differently? That is one technique, right? But firstly, there's very unglamorous parts of it. Imagine how much time it takes for that data to show up in a central place where you can analyze it. I don't know. How much time does it take? Right? So there used to be this type of work would take almost a month for the data to show up, to be clean, to be ready for analysis. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, Today, it happens in minutes. So firstly, you want more real-time data because otherwise, anything that you predict is going to be old news. Right, so that's one part. The second part is that uh, it's not just the failing towers that you want to see. What you want to see is when a tower is successful, what does a healthy cell phone tower look like? Maybe it's not heating up. Maybe it has a temperature range. So you combine a well-working tower with something that behaved badly. And now you say, what is the difference between these two? And then anytime you see this difference, anytime you see temperature drop, maybe weather, maybe rain, um, maybe humidity, right? When you know the good range, then you can identify the one that is out of range. You may not know why, because the worst thing about predicting is you also try to predict why Joel sent an email at 1.30 a.m. in the morning. I don't know. So instead of explaining the why, you just see that it is out of range, this tower is behaving out of range. So you proactively landed before it, in quotes, catches fire. Being dramatic here, but you know, uh, that's the kind of stuff uh, models are supposed to achieve. That's right, because then that's going to affect the cost of the business, not only sending the person out there, but loss of business from the interruption or stress on exactly. customer service from the interruption. There's a whole lot of ways exactly. to impact. Yeah. We have seen numbers from another telecommunication company that if you fix something within 15 to 20 minutes, your call volume is much less. But if it goes on for half an hour, then your call center gets overwhelmed. And now you're trying to fix the call center because too many people are calling up with the same problem. Oh, So you have that golden period in which if you fix it, uh, lazy people like me will not call my telephone company. Yeah, that's, I guess they're, I don't know how they're doing it in the Philippines though. Do they go to a payphone? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's very interesting. What they do is they move to the other provider. Oh, so, so they just, so yeah. In, in, in Asia, uh, you know, uh, across all of Asia, people carry two SIM cards. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So if I'm not happy with one, I'm just going to switch over to the other SIM card. It's your loss. I'll move from Joel's company to Katie's company and Joel just draws revenue. And then you come back online. I'll move from Katie's company back to Joel's company. It's fine because it's literally two SIM cards in the same phone. You're not carrying two phones. Yeah, I've seen that. I was curious about that because I've seen the phones where you can have two SIM cards in them. And I was yep. curious about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So loss of revenue is very, very real there because also a lot of the... Uh, subscribers are not the kind we are, right? We, most likely you have like an annual subscription to a phone provider, right? Yeah. Uh, to your telco. Uh, there, 
they have SIM cards that need recharging every six or ten days. Got it. That's interesting. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of towers out there too. I mean, there's towers every. There's there's only becoming more of them. Oh yeah, there's uh, uh, as you pointed out, the cost of putting a landline is impossible in many cases. It's not just high. It's literally how many fiber optic cables am I going to put across three thousand islands? It might as well put two towers and be done with it. So yeah, there's there's tons of that. Uh, in India, Reliance has gone from around 100 million customers to 400 million people. That's the population of the United States, yeah, which has gone online on cell phones through towers in the last two years, I think. Yeah, I was talking with the CTO of Google the other day, and they were ta- talking about how I think in Africa they put these. Uh, I think it was hot air balloons that would broadcast internet down so that they could come yeah. online because it's it's cheaper to do it from the air. And I know Facebook had a program where they were yeah, doing yeah. gliders and it's apparently it's cheaper to do that than it is to actually run the, the infrastructure on the ground. Yeah, our customers call it rolling a truck. If you can avoid rolling a truck, mm-hmm. you're saving money. Uh, of course, in the Philippines, you're rolling a helicopter, which is even worse. Well, it depends. Depends on who you are. On the helicopter. (laughs) (laughs) One thirty a.m. helicopter. I was trying to impress a girl. (laughs) (laughs) And costing a lot of money. (laughs) I know. Costing a lot of money to the company. Oh, by girl, I mean I was trying to impress my daughter because she wouldn't sleep, and so I was trying to take her on a helicopter ride. By the way, that's how we get our kids to sleep: is we put them in the car and drive them around, put them right to sleep. Yeah. Oh my 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 my. Yeah. Let's talk about cloud computing. You have a lot of experience there. I'm curious, like, what does the next 10 years look like for cloud computing? I think the biggest thing is going to be privacy. People are going to start. My 68-year-old mom asked me the other day, I'm downloading this app which says the government is going to use this for COVID tracking. Okay, no problem. How much of my data is going to be saved by the government for other uses. It's like, wow, so you're thinking about privacy. I mean, she didn't use the word privacy, but the fact that she was thinking through how much of her data will be used, and then she had a lot of questions. Can they look at my WhatsApp? Can they look at my phone contacts, right? And I was just amazed at her literacy on data governance. That's what we call it, right? So I think cloud computing, is going to have an interesting reckoning around security, governance, privacy of data. Did you see that uh, the Senate, they voted to let the FBI access browser history without a warrant? Yeah, so all of that is going to be very, very fascinating how that unfolds, correct, right? Whether uh, it's browsing history, whether it's your phone, history. Uh, There's a a lot of data that we're all spewing. So all of this data is going into the cloud. Fair enough, right? But one, brands will have to build that trust. Without naming names, there are certain brands I'm sure you trust with your data. Yeah, but the one brand that I don't trust is the only brand that I need to access the internet. And that is whatever brand is providing me connectivity, right? Like, I've been an engineer for 17 years. You only need the your ISP if once you have the law in the Senate 
and they have the connection to the ISP, they could they can just suck that data out right away. They don't they don't need to like get Chrome's permission to get my browser history. Right. What they're really just talking about is my web traffic history. And so we're I think we're definitely gonna see a lot of rise of people becoming uh, intelligent and aware of of how to you know use VPN type systems or browsers that incur that allow for privacy beyond your ISP. Yeah. And and so that's a heavy area of investment for us as a company, as well as where consumers' mindsets are going, right? In the current times, people are willing to share a lot of data with the local government, where you went, who did you meet, tracking, etc. But they are going to start asking the question as we recover, is, is how much of my data is going to the government? Uh, and what is the what is the policy behind it? Um, can my insurance company access it? Right? Can my clothing company access it? So I think that's a big uh, big area. The other one is going to be in cloud computing is going to be choice. Everything starts with one big provider. You know whether it is messaging, whether it is phones, it starts with one big provider. But steadily people, enterprises, banks, et cetera, will start asking, but I think I need two providers or three, right? So cloud computing will have more and more players, uh, whether it is Google, whether it is Microsoft, um, they're going to start challenging, if you will, the lead that Amazon Web Services has today. So that's going to be interesting. Uh, for for a lot of us, and the next exciting thing is how much compute power you and I will have as individuals, the infinite compute power. Uh, but here's the problem: uh, with infinite compute power comes responsibility, and that <laughs> is the cost. Right? Uh, that is the cost. Bills will go up for cloud computing. How much money did you spend looking at cat memes? You know? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Grandma. <laughs> yeah. And, and if you're a bank, uh, somebody decided to run a model and then got that cost you. I've had a customer where this person runs a report. That report costs them $625,000. One report. I hope it makes them money. Like, I hope that value of that, I hope it's a $2 million valuable report. Yep. I think cost attribution, cost projection, et cetera, will be extremely important in cloud computing, right? What is the cost? Or no? Why am I so resistant as, I think it's because I'm American and, and freedom is so ingrained in our culture, but I'm just incredibly resistant to this idea of people collecting and amassing the the data on on us. Like, I just, I don't... I don't like it because I feel like they're going to make predictions. About, I'm going to, I, I stop becoming Joel and I start becoming an inhuman piece of a larger pool times a thousand, right? Because I'm in, I'm in, I'm constantly in all these other groupings based on, oh, maybe they've seen my camera and they know I have a beard now, right? Or maybe mm. they can tell I'm wearing a Jeep shirt. So I might, you know, own a Jeep or they've already are in my payment history or my search history and they see the fact that I pay my Jeep bill online. Yeah. yeah and like, and yeah. they start profiling me as an individual. And that the, the problem that I have with that is that the, at the moment, at the time of profiling, 
they are considering me a static individual and I'm a dynamic person. Yeah. My like, I will be wearing maybe a Tesla shirt next year. You know, yeah. I, no. I don't like being boxed in. Uh, but as, as good Americans, we also like free stuff. Let's remember that, right? So a lot of times you're also using a lot of free stuff. Chrome is free. You know, WhatsApp is free. There's a lot of free software around. Um, uh, that's number one. Number two, it does benefit you also, right? When it gives you a recommendation, like typing ahead has made me a better writer. You know what I mean? When you get an email and you can immediately respond because Gmail filled out the response for you, sometimes it's a little inauthentic, but at least I responded to your email. I said, good job or thanks. Uh, it's a quick thing. So there's a lot of goodness to all this prediction. There's a lot of goodness to um, understanding what Joel wants to do next and giving you that, that, that thing. But your point is valid. It might categorize into us into a behavior and we almost can't change the behavior because the system won't let us do that. That's going to be a very interesting problem for AI going forward. Yeah, it's almost like if you're in a relationship and you're always predicting the person's going to do something else, eventually they will form into that just out of your sheer like relentlessness. You know, that, or that's a possibility. It can happen. If it, you know, what is the phrase? You see yourself through the eyes of other people. Like yeah. that's a common one. So what happens when these algorithms and predictions become the eyes of other people in which we're seeing? It's it's a it's an interesting conversation and it it definitely isn't solved in a blanket statement, right? These are things that will require lots of thought and lots of nuance. For example, you know, if I'm looking at data privacy. I should be able to, to toggle something that says, here's all of my data profiles, maybe like a location data profile, yes, yes, yes. a search history data profile, uh, all of these profiles. And then here are the sources that are allowed to consume them. Yeah, I'll give it to my local government. No, I won't give it to the federal government. And then I could choose. Yeah, you know, because what I would do is I would take my purchase history and I would mm. let that be shared with retailers and, you know, because why not? Like all the things I'm purchasing, all it's going to do is going to help me purchase better things. And they're not deciding for me. They're just offering me up things I might be interested. But when you get into like my insurance company rating me and charging me more money exactly, as opposed to someone else based off of habits that I've unwillingly shared with them, that is like for me as a as subjectively, like as an individual, that's a, that's a line. Like I should have, and I'm not, saying the connection shouldn't exist. What I'm saying is the choice should exist. I think the choice will, will happen, uh, okay? Who can you share it with? GDPR is already doing that, CCPA. There's a lot of regulation work. That's one part of it though. The other part that was very interesting that you talked about is what conclusions is the data reaching about Joel and are they valid? Part one is I don't want to share my data. Joel doesn't want to share his data with Katie. It's fine. You know, that's done, right? But on the other side is, what was the data used for? What conclusions were reached? And did these conclusions have bias? So one of the things that very interesting projects we're working on is um, that you have to have 
detection of how a machine learning model reached a conclusion. So to give you an example, if it used gender to reach a conclusion, then does that model have gender bias? Well, I think bias is inherent inside of everything. It's the thing that keeps us alive. It's the thing that allows us to eat the food that won't kill us when we are foraging. I mean, I don't think we'll get to a bias, bias-free. I mean, I think we would die without bias. It's just we we focus as a society, as like a global consciousness, on which biases we are socially discussing today. Yeah, and and it's important to track those biases. Right. The way you are tracking who is using my data, that is one part of it. But the what is important? What are they doing with my data? Is it used to introduce bias into a model? Right. And then track it. And tracking is what we do as a, as a company. Tracking is what I do as an engineer. We don't come up and say, you should not use gender or age. Because in many cases, gender and age is a good predictor of what you want to buy next. But if you use body weight to refuse healthcare, that's a problem, right? So our job is to provide the information saying this model used this attribute to reach this conclusion about Joel. I like that. I like the transparency. Yeah. Track that transparently and then tell the consumer. I, I think where the future will land is Joel will want to know why he was charged 20% extra from last month. And the companies that have trust in, the, in their brand will then explain to you why we charge you 20% more. I love it. And take it a step farther. You know, they explain why and then offer a corrective path mm-hmm. for you to alter the behavior. You know, we charge you because you have a traffic ticket from three years ago, which by the yeah, way, yeah. before all the modern data scientist stuff, they were already hooked into the DMV and rating you based off of traffic tickets, right? Yep. So yep, that's yep, been yep, around yep. as long as computing, maybe even before computing has been around. But, yeah, you know, that transparency of, of them telling us and then us having a path to correct it and then us having a choice on top of it. Like there should be a choice where I say, I'm not giving you my driving record and I subsequently will pay a higher price. Exactly, yeah. That's the input choice. Yes, it, we can, I will gladly, like for us, the, the big, a big difference between my wife and I, here's an interesting thing. She will never pay for any ad-free service. She just does the ads she, and it drives me bonkers <laughs> because yes, every yes, single yes. service, which I could pay ad free for, I go ad free because I value my attention and my ability to get into something. And I don't want to get yanked out of it with an ad. And so yep, for yep, me, yep. Pandora price doesn't interrupt my workout, right? I pay for my Pandora. My workout doesn't get interrupted. I pay for my YouTube my watching experience when I'm watching Joe Rogan podcast doesn't get interrupted. Like nothing yeah, yeah, yeah. gets interrupted and that's why I'm paying. And I would gladly pay an extra $25 a month to my ISP called like a don't send my data to the FBI fee. <laughs> <laughs> like, wouldn't you? Do you want the, I mean, like I would, I would, I would pay 25 bucks for them not to give my data that's, to the FBI. That's interesting. If you if you crystal ball this, right, will we come to a point where people will say, I would rather pay for this software the way we pay Netflix for uh, yes. no ad interruptions, right? I could 
pay my messaging provider saying, hey, take a monthly subscription fee, but please don't use my data for anything else because that's what I'm, I'm paying you for, right? Uh, I, think, I think there's something there in that idea. I think that reckoning is coming because people are becoming more and more freaked out when they're being, as you said, when they're being categorized into a bucket and as, as human beings, we like to evolve, so we don't want to be categorized into a bucket, all right? You might shave, you might buy a different car, like you said. So uh, in that world, disallowing usage of my data could be a very interesting thing in the coming years, yeah. Yeah, because I'm scanning Instagram, yes. mm. another dude on a video trying to tell me how I'm going to make a million dollars. Like, uh, I'm not, I'm not, I would rather pay Instagram $5 a month and never see a sponsored post or 25 yep, bucks yep. a month and never see a sponsored post. And then here's the other thing. I think that they, they could make money this way because not only would I pay for not having ads and protection of my data because I value the service. You know, I use it. Mm. I like it. I will pay. I pay for things I use and like, don't you? I mean, we do. Mm. I pay for Zoom. I love it. And, and so for the moment I'm ready to make a purchase, if Instagram had a tab of like, you know, Instagram vendor deals or whatever, and I could say, hey, I'm looking to purchase a, you know, leadership training system. What do you got? And then it's going to show me, you know, a bunch of ads and I can sit there and scroll through the ads. Okay, we got this company's advertising this way, you know, and I can just, you know, click through the companies, have some sort of like directory and I could shop that would be that makes sense to me but what they're doing the model today is let's find any space of attention and cram an ad in there and uh i don't like it but but i don't want to i want to be careful about just thinking as all ads being bad because you know especially i've always been impressed with google on its ability to give me the right information at the right time at the right place um, I think Amazon does a good job too. So on the other end of the spectrum is if I can explain to Joel on why you got that recommendation and you'd be able to interact with it and say, you were wrong. This ad was inappropriate. I've seen this before. I've already bought the item. If somebody could make that simple and then loop it back in into their recommendation system, that could work too. So Yes, there is a chance that a bunch of free software becomes subscription software. You pay for the subscription. Just an option, yeah. Yeah, that is an option. But the other option where you can actually inject yourself into the decision-making process, saying, hey, your recommendation is off, I think that will help too. Uh, and that's what the learning and machine learning is about. Uh, learning from your feedback would be a very important loop. Yeah, have you seen that on Instagram? They actually have that. I can like, like, don't show me this ad and they ask why. And it's like, I purchased already or I'm not interested in this item. Or So they, they do have a little bit of that. They have a little bit of that, but model going geeky for a minute, right? Model explanation is a very, very hot topic uh, right now in data science because these are massive networks that are trying to build your recommendation. The amount of machine learning that happens before Netflix recommends your movie is amazing, right? So to get you that explanation is going to be harder. So right now the explanations are simple. Ad is inappropriate. I've already seen the ad. I've already bought the product, right? 
Okay, but I think the explanations are going to get richer, and they'll be able to tell you that I showed it to you because you live in a big city with a lot of public transportation. Like that level of explanation is much more personalized than just saying, "Hey, it's an inappropriate ad." That's true. If here's a question for you: if if one of your favorite services did have like a tab that was like suggested suggestions, you know, like different products. You know, do you think you would go browse through that just to just to see? Like, I if I had an interface that said, "Here's some suggested products for you, and here's why," based off of all the data that exists out there from all the third-party providers that collect your data and aggregate it, I think that would be pretty. I would look through that from time to time to see like the new recommendations and what they think I would want. Because you know, I don't know. What about you? I think it's already happened. It's just that we are not spatially aware of it. But every time you browse a product on any e-commerce site, it also gives you suggestions. So that's happening already. Yeah, Jake just messaged uh, on the on the chat, and he said they have some of that in Facebook, but it, but they don't have it. Like it would be cool if they had it like all in one area, because then I'd be like, this would be. There there are times when I mean, people as humans, we're used to this concept of going shopping right? But right now, all of our shopping interactions are meshed into this feed, whether we want them or not. It's like, mm. let me let me do my feed when I'm doing my feed and let me shop when I want to shop, you know, and they'll get paid either way. I still, I shopped as much as the next person. I'm not, I'm not more or less like, like I would spend time in both places and I would have a higher level of intent. What we have seen in behavioral patterns is people say that, but really a lot of the recommendations are better done organically. Meaning while you're doing one thing, it suggests another thing and you're okay with it, right? I know Uh, that's the beauty of being in technology, right? There's some very silly ideas. Uh, I thought virtualization was was, uh, silly. I thought Linux will never pick up, right? All kinds of interesting things. Amazon will only sell books. Uh, and then you see a lot of other things happen. So I, I I think the biggest thing is going to be explaining to you why I'm asking you to look at this product, whether I ask to for you to look at it inline or whether I ask you to go somewhere else, like a separate tab. Um, I'm following. That That's like for, sorry, we got off topic, craziness. This is, I like talking to you. This is a lot of fun. So we were going with like the 10 years thing. And so we think more explanation uh, and more understanding of these models will appear within our day-to-day lives. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Nice. And then I guess that was a broad question, cloud computing, right? Like it's a pretty, it's a pretty broad area. Uh, how, do you, how do you even like define cloud computing? Cloud computing is essentially when you're not racking and stacking computers and where you are paying as you go, right? These are, these are, these are uh, two important uh, things. And the third one is a softer one, which is that you're also not really buying the software. Uh, you're not installing even the software. So think of a software project. The first is, you get some servers, then you deploy the software, uh, and then you buy newer versions of that software. I'm simplifying the entire life cycle. Cloud computing eliminates all of that. You never buy a server, right? Uh, 
you don't really install the software and you pay only for the times that you use it. Makes sense? Yeah, that's a great explanation. So you got acquired from uh, this company and, and now you're in there. What is what is one of the things that you learned through that acquisition process? Big thing is uh, taking care of the team as it gets acquired. All right. So for a lot of first-time entrepreneurs, acquisition itself is Act Three, Climax, Championship One, whatever. Right. It's it's very uh, it's it's sort of the ending of the story. I've learned having been through two acquisitions and having acquired five companies for Cloudera, that it is just the beginning. It's act one. It is then landing the team, making sure that they are finding productive users of their time and their careers are being taken care of. Some companies do it well. Uh, we like to think we do it well too. Do you like this process of like in your professional life of getting to to meet these companies? go through the negotiation process and acquire them and onboard them? Is that fun for you? Yeah, it's it's very fascinating to, uh, to f- if you see an entrepreneur at the first time they have an idea. So now I have a list of 10 or 15, almost billion dollar companies. Uh, some of them we just discussed in this backyard as, hey, I think I have an idea. It's not even an idea. They think they have an idea, right? And then you see it on a billboard and you say, wow, I didn't realize video conferencing could be disrupted. I didn't realize databases could be disrupted. Um, So the joy of seeing an entrepreneur starting with a small kernel of an idea and then being able to take their idea and giving it a bigger stage and then a bigger stage, it's a very satisfying feeling. And some of these people I grew up with in the industry we used to dream of, of building companies, building products that people used. Um, to see them now running their own companies or being able to bring them in and keep them at Cloudera uh, and still have that entrepreneurial hustle, it's just, yeah, uh, makes my day. I love it. Well, as we start to wrap up here, is there any topics that we didn't cover that you want to talk about? I think a lot of people are struggling to figure out how their careers will be in the next few months, years. There's a lot of bad news. And I keep telling people having been through two different recessions, uh, 2000, 2001 was pretty dark. 2009, 10 was pretty difficult times for people is continue to invest in yourself exercise optimism. And the word exercise is very important here. You have to make an effort. Don't check news every three minutes. Listen to a podcast like your podcast and think about growth in your career because things will recover. And finding your optimism right now is difficult, but it's very, very important for people's careers. I love it. And I agree. Because whenever I get down, I realize that the, the way life works, it's like an up and down thing. So yep. when I'm down, I'm like, this is actually not a bad, as bad of a thing. Because the moment you realize that you're down, you're like, well, it's only up from here. <laughs> yeah, and for technical people, Google was founded in, in the throes of a, a recession, right? Zoom, Okta, Twilio, Cloudera, all of us were formed during the last recession. So right now, 
one of your friends, one of your old managers, one of your bosses, somebody is building an idea, either inside the company or outside the company, go gravitate towards them and stop checking the news every three minutes. Go ask your mentors, what are they thinking about? Is there a novel innovation that they've been thinking about working on within the company? And latch yourself onto that project because recovery will happen and people who invest in themselves right now are going to be the leaders of tomorrow. Yes, preach. Yes, right. When, when this whole thing happened, I was like, I want to be the guy that when this thing is over and everyone's back, that I look healthier, that I'm happier, that I, you know, I've worked on my fitness, that I've worked on my mindset, and that I come out of this thing with a net positive. That doesn't mean I don't have the flexibility to have my doubts and my fears and go through my human process. Yeah. But it means that I will come out of this better than I went into it. Yep. Exercise optimism. I love that. You know, I've, I don't think I've ever heard it dis- explained like that. I think you articulated it beautifully because people inherently feel like, it, oh, I'm just not, it just doesn't happen for me. It's like, it's like a, a jacked ripped person. It's like, no, it just doesn't, <laughs> just doesn't happen for them. They exercise it. They make it happen and they consistently execute on it and exercise it over long periods of time. And that's how they become somebody that they're proud of. Yep, 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 absolutely. I stole it from my, full disclosure, I stole it from my son's middle school principal, but I love it, so I wrote it down. (laughs) (laughs) That makes it even better because the advice is so good. It is, it really is good. Oh man, this is great. I'm so excited you came on and you hung out with me and we got to talk about this stuff. It was I was not expecting the conversation to go with privacy, but I've been thinking about it a lot. I'm glad we got to talk about it. Yep. Thank you, my friend. Talk soon.